right. Uh, this is number 117 uh, sermons in um, Matthew's Gospel. So we've been at it almost three years. Um, I think it was we started in April of 19, and here we are in May of 2022. So 117 sermons later, we are coming to the conclusion of Matthew's Gospel. And uh, we are coming to the end with a very glorious uh, passage of Scripture. One of the most important passages of Scripture in all the Bible. Not least of which is one, one part of this tells us about the Trinity. It's one of the more defining areas in the whole of the Bible that tells us about who God is. That God is uh, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But that is that teaching is there as one part of a greater whole called the Great Commission. And uh, it tells us there in verse 16, Now the eleven went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So they come to this mountain in Galilee. This, uh, and mountains were very popular places where God had made himself known. You remember when the Ten Commandments were given. They were given on Mount Sinai. Jesus gives his, uh, the renewal of the law uh, on the Mount of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the Mount of Olives, um, the, the Mount of Beatitudes, rather. And he, he reiterates that. Now they've come again to another mountain here in Galilee to give another great commission. And just as important as the Ten Commandments were that God gave to Moses, so Jesus had given the, re the, the proper interpretation of the law, the spirit of the law, in the Sermon on the Mount, and now he gives his church their marching orders. What, what is to be their mission? What is to be our mission? That, more importantly, uh, in this world. And every, every generation has had to hear this call again. And in this passage, Jesus uses words, and one particular word, all which really drives home to us the significance of what he is trying to get across here. Listen to what he says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, Jesus is just pulling out all the stops here, and he is, he is expressing uh, absolute authority and absolute mission in the world to the very absolute end of the age. So, it's that kind of all-encompassing vision that Matthew ends on. And so it is like a beautiful orchestral piece of work that ends with all the horns blaring, all the drums pounding, all the strings 
stringing, uh, and doing what strings do. All the instruments are, are, are coming together in this great climax. And this is what we find at the end of the, of the Gospel of Matthew. That the work has been accomplished by Jesus. He, he has finished the work. It is finished. Jesus has paid the price on Calvary's cross. And now the church is to go out and proclaim that all who believe and trust will have eternal life in His name. But we're to see that it's not simply getting people saved. Uh, but it's more than that. It, we're going to see that Jesus has a broader campaign than that. That it, it, it comes down to discipleship. That believing is simply the first step on the way to a greater expression of discipleship. And so uh, they come to uh, Galilee, which is how Matthew started, where Jesus goes out to preach in Galilee of the Gentiles. Remember, we, we made much of that. The Galilee area was called the Galilee of the Gentiles because there were many different Gentile groups that had come in there. And this was uh, something that the Old Testament had pointed forward to that Jesus would be a light to the nations. And now that is all being fulfilled. So the first all that we want to think about here this morning is in verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You remember early on in Matthew's Gospel that the devil promised Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Uh, by simply getting down and worshipping the devil, worshipping Satan. And Jesus, of course, rebuffs him. And he said, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall, shall you serve. Now Jesus has something far greater here. He has the world and the cosmos that he has been given all dominion and authority as the Son of Man. Now that's the difference. We might ask, well, didn't Jesus have all authority before? Uh, wasn't He God? And didn't He rule all that there was before this? The difference is now that Jesus is doing it as one of us. As one of us. The Son of Man. That's the difference. Someone who has lived this life. Someone who has gone through all that we have gone through. Someone who is a, a, a human being. He himself, as a human, is seated at the right hand of the Father. Now we elect officials, don't we? We elect uh, MPs to go to Ottawa. And we say, well, the person sitting in that seat in the House of Commons is from PEI. They grew up here. They know the people. They know they've been elected, chosen, because they have a, a sympathy and an affinity with the people of Prince Edward Island. So we have someone there who... Uh, who represents us in that way. But in Jesus, we don't just have one of many representatives. We have the Son of Man, the Son of God, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, who is able to sympathize with us. And as a human being, not only as God, but as a human being, He has all authority and dominion given to Him. You can imagine how Jacob felt when Joseph was in Egypt. And someone from jo Jacob's own loins, someone from his own body now was head over the greatest empire in the world. He had the keys to the granary. He had the, uh, he had, uh, 
the uh, power over the army. He was second only to Pharaoh. And so you can imagine how Jacob felt knowing that Joseph was in second in command over all of that. And we are to think similarly about Jesus at the right hand of the Father. That He has the keys to the granary. He has the keys to grace and mercy and uh, forgiveness and all of these things. And, and He has been given this authority for us. He has been given that authority on our behalf. And that is something we can rejoice in. He's not there simply for Himself. Just as we don't call people to go to Ottawa and sit in the House of Commons for themselves. They go as servants of the people. Jesus is there as a servant. He has been given that power and authority to serve His church. We saw that in John 13, where it says, the night before Jesus died, knowing He had come from the Father, and that He was going back to the Father, and that the Father had, listen, given all things into His hands, what does He do? He takes off His outer robe, He gets down, and He washes the disciples' feet. He uses His power and authority to serve. And this is why Jesus says this now. And that puts us in a different light than this morning, doesn't it? God, Jesus is head over all things. For what? What does Paul say? For the church. For the church. So that says that all of this is on my behalf. Jesus was the Son of God before. He had everything. He was one with the Father. But now He has come into this world to rescue us. And He has made the mediator for you and I. And it's incumbent upon us then, isn't it, to listen. To listen to Him. To listen to that voice who calls us. He says, I have been given all of this. I am in this place on your behalf. Will you not listen? Will you not be reconciled unto God? For I have been given all authority to forgive. I have the keys of hell and of death. I hold the keys. And therefore, uh, Matthew is holding up Jesus here as the object of our faith. The one to whom we must come and acknowledge that. He not only holds authority as God, but as the Son of Man. And what did the Son of Man do? He went to the cross. He went to the cross. So we're called, we, we are amazed at the fact that not only is this simply God that has this authority, but it was someone who loved my soul to the point where his body was ripped apart. His blood was shed. He was spit upon and beaten. He endured all of that. And so he mixes that authority with that kind of love and grace and mercy. So that in Jesus we have the perfect Redeemer. He who has authority, but he who also does exercises his authority with love and grace toward his people. And so we see here Jesus' authority. Well, like I said at the beginning, it, Jesus doesn't pull this language out of a hat. It goes back to uh, 
many, many places, and we definitely don't have time this morning to go through all the places that the Bible talks about Jesus having that authority. We, we could spend all morning thinking about just the Old Testament passages. But I said that Jesus didn't pull this like a magician pulls a rabbit out of the hat out of nowhere. Jesus was Scripture-saturated. He has come to fulfill the Scriptures. He has come to fulfill the prophecies. And so we find, for example, in Daniel's chapter 7, where Daniel sees this vision, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. In other words, Daniel sees this human figure. Now get this. This human figure, he is one like a son of man. And he comes to the Ancient of Days. Who is that? That is God the Father. And was presented before him. And to him, to this man, this son of man, was given glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. That is truly incredible. That to this man, this Son of Man, is given things that belong only to God. Dominion, authority, kingdoms, power, glory, and a kingdom that will not be destroyed. It shall never end. What what are we pursuing in life that comes close to anything like we see here? He, he, Jesus then is, is, is lifting that language out of the Old Testament. Even when Jesus was on trial before the, the rulers, He quotes this passage. You will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of glory. And they said, enough! We have heard enough! He is clearly blaspheming. He is clearly taking to himself the things that belong only to God. And he, they were right. Jesus makes a point of saying this in various places. In Matthew 11, all things have been delivered over to me by my Father. Jesus quoted at various times throughout His ministry. Psalm 110, which is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. And Jesus made abundant use of it. Where it says that the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for you. And Jesus, of course, used that to the, say to the people, how can David say that he is his son when he's his Lord? How can someone who has come before him come after him? And of course the riddle is served, is solved rather, in the fact that the one who came after David lived before him as God the Son, incarnate in the flesh. And the psalm is looking forward to the day when all that authority will be given into the hands of Jesus. Similarly, uh, Isaiah's prophecy, which we celebrate every uh, uh, Christmas, Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Does it make any? Does it, 
leave us in any doubt as to the humanity of this person? No. Isaiah wants us to be clear. This is a human being. He is a child. He is a son. But he's also the mighty God. And on his shoulders shall be the government. Verse 6. Verse 7, and of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end and the throne and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Absolute authority was given to Jesus and the Father was pleased to give it into his hand. You can imagine when the Son was there on the cross, forsaken. And yet the Father was looking at Him and thinking in only a few days, my Son, everything will be yours. Absolute authority will be yours. The nations are in your hands. You will direct that campaign. You have power over all principalities and powers, things seen, things unseen. They are in your hands. They are at your disposal to do as you please as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that's why it, it tells us Paul in that wonderful chapter in Philippians 2 talking about the absolute disintegration of the Son of of, of man on the cross. He said, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It was inescapable. It was undeniable. To the point where Peter could stand up before thousands on the day of Pentecost and he says, Therefore let the house of Israel know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. The disciples were just overwhelmed with this idea that the one that they had followed and who, who seemed to be completely lost now is destroyed. It's now has all authority in heaven and earth. And Peter stands up, and he, that's what he says. We could go on. There's so many places that we could talk about Jesus' authority. But he says this to his church, to, to encourage his church. And to say to his church, I am the ultimate authority in your life. And no one else. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And what are they to do with that then? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we see Jesus' authority. We see secondly, his assignment. And that is to go and make disciples of the nations. This is why I said at the beginning, it's not just to get a confession out of someone. 
to sign the card, to put up your hand and say, yes, I, I believe in Jesus. No, it's more than that. That's, that's the beginning. Jesus says, go and make disciples. Disciples are those who, who follow Jesus, who hear and understand and obey His teaching. It's more than simply believing. One person has said that the early church was interested in edification as well as evangelism, in sanctification as well as conversion, in church government as well as preaching. We, we kind of tune out with those words, government, church government. Well, I want to talk about something more exciting than church government. No, government, when we talk about the government being upon Jesus' shoulders, that, that comes down to the church where He governs His people. And he is governing them in order to make them disciples. If you were a disciple of Jesus, you followed him, you ate with him, you drank with him, you followed him around, you tried to emulate how he responded to people. If people were broken around you, you went to that person and you dealt with them tenderly. Not brazenly. Like the Good Shepherd who said about Peter, Go and tell my disciples and Peter because he was particularly vulnerable, particularly broken, and he made special mention of him. And we ought to be the same in our responses as disciples of Jesus. To be looking out for the broken. To be looking out for one another. And so here, that's what discipleship involves. is becoming more and more like Jesus. And when we read of the character of Jesus in the Word of God, we are to be conforming our responses and our thinking and our attitudes to that of Jesus. That's what being a disciple of Jesus is all about. So it's more than simply a mental assent to say, yes, I believe. But it's, con it's being like Him in the very heart. That's why Paul talks about Jesus being formed inside of us. As he says to the Galatians, he says, I'm in childbirth all over again, you Galatians, until Jesus is formed inside of you. That is discipleship. It's not just saying I am a Christian. It's, it's seeking to go to the Word of God and say, I, I'm shaping my heart and mind around who Jesus is. The Gospel now informs everything. The money I spend, the people I, I, I associate with, the, how, I, how, how I deal with people. The Gospel shapes how I look at death. How I look at the past. The Gospel is everything. And I allow myself to come under the discipleship of the King of Kings. This is what it all means. And he goes on, he says, making, we'll, we'll come back to this in a moment, but he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations so that the universal uh, 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 lordship of Jesus over heaven and earth must be reflected in a universal mission. In other words, he's saying to these Jews, don't stick around Jerusalem. But when 
the power of the Holy Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's, where, that's what's changed again with the resurrection of Jesus. And of course, again, it's not Jesus pulling things out of the hat, making it up as he goes along. Jesus is saying, I'm being true to everything that has come before me. The very words of this gospel start out how? Look at that with me together. Matthew 1. What are the first words? It tells us something about where Matthew is going with Jesus. The book of the genealogy of Jesus, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac and so on. He goes back to Abraham to say that what Jesus is fulfilling now and the language that he is using is being true to the memory and mission that God gave to Abraham. What did God say to Abraham? Genesis 18, 18. This is just one of the places. But he says this. Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? That's what Jesus is doing. He's being true to the memory of and mission of all that came before. And the language is intentional. Go into all the nations, because that's God hasn't forgotten His plan. God hasn't gotten tired of it that so many years have passed. God is true to it. He's bringing it to fruition. And God is saying to Abraham, look and see. Here He is. He has finally come. He will bring to pass all that I promised to you on that very fateful day. When I said to you, an old man who had no children and whose wife was 90 years old and you are almost 100 years old, and I said to you, nations will come from you and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And now, here it is. Can you imagine if Abraham was a spectator of all of that? looking at it, watching it all unfold. Wow! It must Get into the mind of these people. Get into what it must have meant for Abraham. Do you think God would have forgotten Abraham and not told him about what, was, what all this meant? Did Elijah and Moses not appear with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? Did they not talk with him about the things that he would do in Jerusalem? Do you think Abraham then would be uh, ignorant of what Jesus was about to do? No. He would have been a spectator along with Moses and Elijah, seeing all these things come place, seeing how it is that the nations will be blessed. Psalm 22, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. Isn't that a remarkable thing when the nation of Israel was just this pokey little nation that were beat up by all the nations around and they had the gall to write such songs? I mean, get a grip! 
Don't you know about Assyria and Egypt and the Philistines and all? And you, you people, you nomadic tribe on the, the east coast of the Mediterranean, going around writing all these songs about the nations coming to your life? How ridiculous. How, how arrogant. And yet there it was. It filled their praise. It filled the Psalms. It was the burden of the prophets at all the nations. And now Jesus says to this ragtag, not even a full compliment yet because one of them had sold him for 30 pieces of silver. They only had 11 now. And he was telling them that you are going to be the first of those who will carry my name to the nations. And the nations will hear and the nations will believe. They will come in. Go and disciple all nations. Last week, after service, Casey, who is not with us this week, he's away on work, but he was showing us a picture of a cathedral in Madras, which is in southeastern India. It's a huge, beautiful cathedral, the Cathedral of St. Thomas. You can look it up on the internet uh, when you go home. And uh, Thomas, doubting Thomas, was an early missionary to India. And, and he took the, it was be, before Islam, before Sikhism, before those, uh, took, took the gospel to India in 53 AD, died in 73 AD, and a huge cathedral church is built over the spot where he died. Beautiful, huge, white church. But this is how Thomas responded to the call of Jesus to go. He didn't see himself as a, an administrator. He says, well, I'll, I'll find a whole bunch of little smaller administrators. And I'll send them out and I'll stay back here at head office in Jerusalem and I'll just coordinate things from here. No, he went as all the apostles did and shed their blood for the cause of the gospel. And they were glad to do so. They believed Jesus. They believed that the nations were given into his hands and therefore they could go. And even if they were put to death, they knew it was His will. They knew that it wasn't an accident if they died. But that because all authority and dominion had been given into the hands of Jesus, no one could touch them until Jesus gave the, 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 the say-so. Baptizing them. Baptism. Uh, going back to John the Baptist was an identification with Christ. And a picture of inclusion. We're not going to get into baptism uh, too much today, but this was to be the sign of inclusion. person believes they are baptized. In Acts 2.38, Peter said, Repent Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 41, And then they that gladly received His they were there was added unto them about 3,000 souls. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? Again, we're not going to get into a full-blown discussion on the Trinity here. It says, not in the names. Well, there's the name of 
Jesus. There's the name of the Father. No, he says the name, singular. Someone described their characteristic. The name of God means all wise, all loving, full of power. Now Jesus is saying, name, baptizing them in the name of the Father. It's one name. One dominion, one mission, one being. The ancient scripture says, here, God the Lord is one God. One God. That God was one, not many gods, but one God. Hide that. Jesus would have, as a Jew, the disciples would have lived and died according to that creed that God and the, the, the Great Commission is based on that. Not three gods, but one. And we are baptized. And the Trinity becomes for us a cardinal doctrine non-negotiable to believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In other words, name, His authority. Each having a different work to do. Going and dying, the Holy Spirit then applying the us to be born again, applying the blood of Jesus to our us, guiding us, leading us, filling us. All doing their individual work as the individual teaching them, verse 20, to observe back to what we talked about earlier in terms of making disciples. To be a true word. The Bible is so emphatic about that. I'll throw out the Word of God. But what we link we go to the Word and we above and beyond the Word now. But we come. That's why I say to be a relationship to the Bible every day. Is it a as that which by which a man lives by? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You shall observe, therefore, Deuteronomy. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. 
whatsoever things I command you, observe to do it. You hear that language echo. All that I have commanded you. That means through the Word of God, God's Word, that we conform our minds to God's Word. We're disciples of Jesus. All that Jesus commanded, the Sermon on the Mount. Be a Christian? Jesus gives us that in the Sermon on the you don't worry if you don't have. Does God not provide for the lilies? You shall not hate. You shall not love. And in the Sermon on the Mount. So, so I have to learn now what it means. It means to observe all that. This is why when we look at the outpouring earth shattering, wasn't it? It was life on the church. Pouring out of the Spirit. What do we find the disciples steadfastly in the apostles? They didn't say, oh, my own church. I can be a church. I don't have I'm just moved by the Spirit. No. Apostles' doctrine. And in the breaking of... They had to be shaped by... They still had to come under the authority of the Word of God. Even the apostles chose to sit aside from the. What you're doing is not in. He still had to be shaped. He still had to be conformed. Teaching them to observe. Again, it's that. Married to you know, who is he who died, he who loved us, he poured himself out. monstrous God who is trying to. It is he who died and rose again. Isn't it? So as he says, you are my friends if you do whatever. You come at it with a love. That's how we come at it. With a stick being poked at our back. We 
Sorry. to do. And Jesus America, but God, it's small everyday things. being conformed to his will. That's what he's finally authority. We've seen his his see the assurance and behold Absolute authority over here. Go. Look, I am with you always. In other words, think specific. Yeah, that I am with you. That's the word. You're beholding something beautiful and one. Remember what Paul said? Remember Daniel in the den of lions? Remember King David? And all the apostles as they moved out? Why would he? He died for them. Orphans, I will come to you. Not just when you go to church. He's with us when our hearts are broken. He is, he is the good shepherd and the Slumbers not, nor sleeps. Shepherd. And he highlights who does it, he does it. Where is he? I feel his rod and his staff comfort. Why are you saving this, David? Because he's all. There is over there. Uh, and I know that just as David will be with me. And that's the promise he.
here this morning and he'll be with us as we go. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Emmanuel, God with us in chapter Jesus ties up and behold. Finished off by simply saying, not just a sense. Grace and forgiveness and not only and so for and as we see what the death and resurrection. This is the good news that it is. End date of our King who loved Not always by going off to a Bible story. It's mother Calling up a friend. People in your family. Giving money to a Bible. And doing that as a church. And it's our But let's be. Let's pray.